0: like three microphone devices. I, w- I, want you- I want to explain that. This is so you can hear my voice in here. This one is so that we can record this thing for people who are not here. This is a Bluetooth device connected to my wife's brain so that she can hear me. So I'm not super special, I promise, but this is just the situation I live with. Um, so this week, obviously, we're here. Good job. You made it. Uh, Next week, we will meet in our missional communities. So if you're part of a missional community already, you know what that means, where that is, how you'll meet. The following week, October 11th, we will begin uh, worshiping together at our building uh, in Swananoa. Now, we're going to do that uh, with a bunch of measures for protection to make that as safe as possible as we move into the winter. So what that looks like is we'll divide the room Um, We'll have people sitting six feet apart in the sanctuary, which really limits the number of people you can put in there. So we'll also have the fellowship hall set up with chairs, and there'll be a simulcast from the sanctuary into the fellowship hall. Um, And because of that, still the size of that, we'll have two services just to make sure we can accommodate everybody. Our our mask guidelines will be the same as the state's, so everybody five and up will wear masks. Um, We will direct flow of traffic so the people aren't bunching up together Um, and we have a some time in between the services so we don't have two masses of people sort of colliding and undoing all the things that we just tried to do so uh, it'll look different um, and it's not going to be the same as everybody being all in one room together like it was before we're not there yet but this is what we've got right now and this is the best that we can do right now so we hope that you'll join us if you can't and if your friends are Not ready to do that, be in a building with other people, that's fine. We'll also be live streaming uh, at least one of the worship services. We've been working on getting that set up as well. So, that'll be October 11th, two Sundays from now. All right, we are in Isaiah 7 and 8, and I'm going to skip a little bit. I'm going to read kind of the first half of Isaiah chapter 7. And then a little bit of Isaiah chapter 8. We're not doing all of of chapter 8. We'll we'll cover some of that next week as well. In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramaliah, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. When the house of David was told, "'Syria is in league with Ephraim,' the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. And the Lord said to Isaiah, "'Go out to meet Ahaz, you and Shear-Jeshub, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field. Say to him, be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint,' because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands, at the fierce anger of Razin and Syria the son of Ramalia, because Syria with Ephraim and the son of Ramalia has devised evil against you, saying, Let us go up against Judah and terrify it, and let us conquer it for ourselves, and set up the son of Tabeel as king in the midst of it. Thus says the Lord God, It shall not stand, and it shall not come to pass, for the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Razin. And within sixty-five years, Ephraim will be shuttered from being a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria. The head of Samaria is the son of Ramalia. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Again the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your house and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. I'm going to skip down. The Lord is going to bring judgment from different uh, nations, but also in that day, a man will keep alive a young cow and two sheep, and because of the abundance of milk that they give, he will eat curds, for everyone who is left in the land will eat curds and honey. And then over to chapter 8. Then the Lord said to me, take a large tablet and write on it common characters, belonging to Maher Shalal Hashbaz, and I will get a reliable witness, Uriah the priest and Zechariah the son of Jeberachiah, to attest for me. And I went to the prophetess, and she conceived and bore a son. Then the Lord said to me, Call his name Maher Shalal Hashbaz. For before the boy knows how to cry, my father or my mother, the wealth of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria will be carried away before the king of Assyria. The Lord spoke to me again. Because this people has refused the waters of Shiloah that flow gently and rejoice over Razin and the son of Ramalia, therefore, behold... The Lord is bringing up against them the waters of the river, mighty and many, the king of Assyria, in all his glory. And it will rise over all its channels and go over all its banks, and it will sweep on into Judah. It will overflow and pass on, reaching even to the neck, and its outspread wings will fill the breadth of your land, O Emmanuel. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank You that it is Your Word. And we thank You that it is living, that it is active, that it bears an edge still to cut us open. And God, I pray that You would do so, that You would expose our hearts, and You would heal our hearts, that we might love You more truly in response to Your faithful love. Amen. So there's a decent chance if you were listening amidst all of the names and countries and things like that, there's a decent chance that you have heard a piece of this passage somewhat regularly, probably at Christmas time, um, Because the Gospels will pick up this passage, a piece of this passage, and bring it forward into the story of Jesus' birth. But it's set into a story of what's going on in Jerusalem, in Israel. And there's something very strange going on here. And you have to pay attention and look closely to what's happening. There is a man named Ahaz. He is the king of Judah. Now, if you don't know your Israelite history, let me catch you up real quick. There was, at one point in the Bible, one nation of Israel. Very soon after a monarchy is established, After David and his son, the kingdom splits in half. And there's a southern half that's called Judah, and that's where David's family continues to rule. And the northern portion, which is most of the tribes of Israel, is called Israel, or Ephraim, as you might have heard in this passage. The northern half ends up fighting at times with the southern half. The northern half makes its own alliances and follows its own way and goes downhill very fast. Of course, the southern half also makes its own alliances and goes downhill, just not as fast. So at this point, Jerusalem, which is in Judah, is where Ahaz, the descendant of David, is reigning in the southern kingdom. And he is looking at the northern kingdom of Israel, who has made an ally with these terrible, scary people. And they are coming to Jerusalem to fight Jerusalem and Judah. And Ahaz, this descendant of David, is terrified. And Isaiah is coming to him as he's going out to sort of inspect the defenses of the city of Jerusalem, make sure we've got enough water here, how are the walls looking. Isaiah comes to him with his son and gives him this message God is saying, Do not be afraid do not be afraid. This looks scary. They're bigger than you. Their allies are bigger than you. They're coming to your doorstep, but don't be afraid. God's going to judge those people. He's going to wipe them out and they will not be able to overcome you. And then there's a second movement where he goes back to Ahaz and he says, God is telling you, pick a sign. Anything you want. He says, as deep as Sheol. So, as deep as the grave, as the underworld, or as high as the heavens. Anything in between there. Anything that you want. Pick a sign. God is telling you to, to ask for a sign. And Ahaz says, I would never put the Lord God to a test. I, I, I would never do that. Even though God has just told him to do that. And Isaiah says, Fine. And he sees through the veneer of his religious exterior. And he says, here is what the sign will be. He says, there is is a young girl, there's a virgin. She will become pregnant and the son that she has will be called Emmanuel. And she says, when that kid is born, before, before he's grown up, God will come and He will bring judgment. And He is going to judge you for your faithlessness for your fear and lack of trust in Him. And then in the beginning of chapter 8 is this continuation of this narrative. And what do we see? We see this woman. She gets pregnant. And then there's this kid that's named that very, very lovely name, Mahir Shalal Hashbaz, which is always very high on the list of baby names. I can't even guarantee that I always say it at the right time. I have to look at it. Maher Shalal Hashbaz. Meher Shalal Hashbaz. It's three hyphens. And he says the name itself is speaking of the, the pursuit of praying. And sure enough, there's this pronouncement of judgment. He says there's going to be this river of judgment that flows through Assyria and into the land and overflows its, bank, its banks of oh, Emmanuel. Now, that story... That sequence of telling sounds very different than the gospel story. It sounds very different. And we're going to get to the gospel story in a few minutes. But first, we need to talk about the story that Isaiah finds himself in and what Ahaz finds himself in. Ahaz is terrified because he is the ruler of a much smaller country. And multiple, larger, wealthier countries are arrayed against him. And let me tell you, these people that are at his doorstep, they are not wimps. They are not softball enemies. They are scary, terrifying, frightening, legitimately dangerous enemies. And here he is, like a tribe and a half of Israel left. The distant glory of David's family passed down to him in this much smaller form, gathered around this one place, Jerusalem. And the prophet of God tells him, do not be afraid. Now, Ahaz, his response is much much the same response that I would likely have. Excuse me, my eyeballs work I can see those people over there. They are frightening. And even when the prophet of God tells him, ask for a sign, ask for one, Ahaz cannot get out of the rut of fear and instead reaches for religious appearances. The appearance of religion, he picks that up and says, oh, I would never put the Lord our God to the test. He's using his religion to enable his continued continued pattern and behavior of fear. And Isaiah, of course, sees directly through it and calls him to the carpet on that count. The, The proposition is the same. For Ahaz, as it has been for all of the people throughout all of the story of the Old Testament. The people of the Old Testament, of Israel, are presented constantly with two things. One, the pleasures of this world. They are constantly tempted by the pleasures, the customs, the alternative forms of worship of the people around them. They are desirable, they are easy, they are comfortable. They are presented the pleasures of these alternative gods, and they are presented with the powers that are around them. They are surrounded at many times by people who are far more powerful, far more proficient at at being good, at being a military force. They are presented with the The prospect of the powers and the pleasures of this world, and what the prophets are constantly coming to tell these people is, the pleasures of God of Israel are far greater than the pleasures of these other gods. Do not fall prey to these pleasures. And they're also saying the powers of these other people, these other nations, they are far, far inferior to the power of God. Focus on what is true, see what is really real, and do not fall prey to the pleasures and the powers of this world. And Ahaz is caught in the middle of this tension like every other Israelite for all of the story of the Old Testament, and he cannot see that the power of the God of Israel might possibly be better than the powers of Syria, of Ephraim, arrayed against him. And so the prophet is coming to tell the truth to him. Their power is not greater than the power of God. And those same temptations still are on the prowl in the world today. The pleasures and the powers of this world are still cheap and pale imitations of the pleasures at the hand of God and the power that He possesses. All of those inferior, puny pleasures have nothing on what God presents to His people because you were made for Him. And you can never find the kind of happiness and joy and pleasure that you so desperately crave. You'll never find it elsewhere. It'll only be in Him. So He is not lying to you when He says, leave aside the pleasures of this world. And just like the kings of Syria and Ephraim seem overwhelmingly powerful and dangerous, and they are dangerous, it's real. The power of the God of Israel so vastly outshines their power that Ahaz can look in the face of terrifying opponents and say, my God is yet more powerful, and I will be okay. This is the same struggle that we are in, caught in the middle of. When, when sin presses in on us, the temptation of pleasures at the hands of any number of things that you could name, the thing that you are thinking of right now, that temptation, the pleasures of God still outshine those things. And right now, we are caught in this similar moment to King Ahaz. We're in the midst of a moment marked by fear. This is is a time that is dripping with fear. In this pandemic time, since whatever, the beginning of March, maybe earlier depending on when you started paying attention to the news, this became an environment of fear. And fear that is grounded in some good reasons to be afraid. You know, we're not asking you to wear masks because they're pleasant fashion accessories. We're saying there's a real pandemic in the world that could literally kill you. Maybe. I don't know. Depending on your health and blah, blah, blah. That's real. That's scary. Combined on top of that, we are living in a time that's moving up to an election in November. And what is the predominant lever that people will use to force you in to voting for their candidate? Who who is there standing and saying, standing mostly on their confidence and the positive vision of what things could be? No one. I get mailers in my mailbox every time. Do you know what every mailer says? If you don't vote for me, the world will literally burn to a crisp. It's the same message for either candidate. If you do not vote for me, the world will literally burn in flames. So if you don't want that to happen, you better vote for me. The lever that politicians have in their hand is the lever of fear. We are in a pandemic season where everybody is being always constantly afraid. And Those things are out there. There are bad things that can happen in the world. Bad political decisions have bad consequences. Getting COVID 19 can, might kill you. Those are bad things. And just like Ahaz is looking over the walls at the armies that are gathered there, what Ahaz is not being asked to say is those things don't exist. What he's being asked to see is that the God of Israel stands in His midst and is more powerful than those things. That somehow the God of Israel who is on His side might yet provide Him a way forward beyond the pleasures and the power arrayed against Him. Isaiah gives this sign that there will be a child born By the name of Emmanuel. Now, the story and how it's presented is is really weird. It's it's strange. Who is this person? He seems to be pointing at a person that's right there. This kid is supposed to be a sign for Ahaz. And sure enough, in the next chapter, in chapter 8, there's a kid that's born. And there's this prophecy that's there with this kid being born. Somehow, this kid is that one. And yet, the name that the child will bear, this title that the child will bear, Emmanuel, leaps beyond Ahaz's present moment and reverberates down and past this child that's born in a way that Israel does not fully understand. They will look at this prophecy and hear this prophecy and say, yeah, that kid was born, but it seems like there's more. And there's this question lingering in the text as the echoes ring out in the book of Isaiah. And we will hear more of those echoes next time. But when the Gospel writers will look at Jesus, they will remember the echoes of this song. And they will say, this song was always mostly, most fully about this One who was born to Mary, Jesus of Nazareth. This song has has moved over and past and around the child that seemed to be aimed at and down through history to a virgin who gives birth to Jesus. The promise in his name is that God is with us. The name is the sign. The person who most fully embodies the name is the fulfillment of the sign. The, the child's name, Emmanuel, is that God is with us. And so this morning, we look to the fulfillment in the fullest sense of this sign, and we look to Jesus of Nazareth to see the most concrete Fullest explanation, God's demonstration that He is really and truly with us. Jesus of Nazareth is the eternal demonstration of the God of Israel that He will be forever with His people. And you need to see the nature and the shape of God's witness, His with us, that He Himself comes to be. As one of us, he takes on our nature and our flesh so that everything that you could be afraid of in this moment, he is also faced. The prospect of disease, of dying at the hands of disease, seeing your life cut short too early, that was his life. He faced it. He himself got sick. He himself died far too young in the prime of his life, cut down by the forces of evil. Are you terrified of who is or who may be in power in a a government in this country? Jesus was born under the power of Rome. Rome is way worse. The the machinations of war and terror, they were experts at it. They conquered the, the known world at the time at the point of a sword. And if you would dare oppose them, their neck, their boot would be on your neck faster than you could blink the fear of who might be in power, who is in power. Jesus was born in that world so that even at His birth, an unjust ruler rode into the city of His birth and cut down babies, killing them in pursuit of Jesus. Are you afraid right now in a pandemic? Are you afraid right now in an election season? Jesus is God with us in the middle of this kind of thing. And he is saying, I myself have taken this upon my flesh. So that Jesus, Son of God, would himself absorb all the blows of all the powers of this world. Stretching out His arms and inviting their attacks. Embracing them and wrestling them into the grave. There is no place that you can go where He is not still Emmanuel. God with us. If you are standing on the precipice this morning and you are being buffeted by fear... The Lord would invite you to see the sign that He has offered to you. It is Himself, God and man in one. The God man is the sign for you and I that there is nothing that He will not and cannot conquer. And that any promise of pleasure or power that might be arrayed against you, He has yet better. So this morning, the invitation is a couple of things. One, if you realize that you have been imprisoned by the offers of this world, if you have been controlled and dictated and fallen under the sway of that siren song of power and fear, this morning, you should repent. If you know Jesus, if you wear His name, and you can recognize the seeds of those lies have fallen deep in your heart, You should repent because you have believed lies about God. And the good news is that when Christians say you should repent, it is not with a finger wagging over your head or in your face. It is a hand that is beckoning you home. Would you repent and come home? Would you get off of the walls staring down at the enemies arrayed against you? Would you come home Would you let your father take care of you? Would you stop being imprisoned to all of those lies that have ensnared you? Would you instead come home and let the father take care of you? Let him wrap his arms around you and let him tell you the truth that he is with you, that he would never leave you, that he would never forsake you, that he would crush every enemy arrayed against you, that even if the powers of hell and sin and death itself would come against you, he has already been there where they are threatening to take you, and He has destroyed it. So would you stop believing the lies that they are telling you? And would you come home? And if you are struggling this morning, if you feel that you want to believe it's so desperately hard not to be in the throes of fear, would you let Him whisper the truth to you again? That though you fear to fail Him and even having faith to not fear, The God who is with you has always seen you in the fragility of your tiny baby faith. And He has said, it's never been about you being enough. It's always been about me. Emmanuel, God with us in our fear and our faithlessness to deliver us and carry us through a season of darkness and fear and temptation. When we pray this morning, That God would deliver us from evil. Jesus Himself presents you as the answer to your prayer. God is with us. And He will deliver us. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we openly confess that by nature we are more like Ahaz than anything else. By nature we doubt You. By nature... Without any, any teaching, by instinct, we swerve away from the truth of who You are. We confess to You that we have been hard-hearted, stiff-necked, bound up in the ways of this world. We are so grateful that Your name is Emmanuel. Emmanuel that You are with us, that You're for us, and that You still yet deliver us. God, I pray that we as a people would walk in the midst of a world full of dangers, that we would be wise, that we would be people who account for the dangers of this world, who account for pandemics and making wise political choices, all those things that we need to do, but we would do it from a place of absolute peace, that we are are in your hands, that you providentially rule over us and deliver us in the face of our foes. Father, we ask that you would help us to be wise. Wise to look out for the, the traps and the pitfalls of this world. We ask that you would help us to first and most believe that we are yours. And everything, every decision we make in our lives would flow out from that concrete conviction. God, I pray for those who have been wounded, fatigued, injured by this this fear that we've been living in and under. I pray, God, that you would bring healing and rest. You give rest to your beloved. And we're so grateful for that. God, we, we ask that you'd help us together to see you more clearly that we would see what Ahaz failed to see, and what you have demonstrated us demonstrated to us in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.